chapter 5 today, and it's another one of those <clears throat> very long chapters, and there's some things I need to tell you before we get to it, uh, so that um, if, you're a, if you're a scholar, you'll be really interested, or at least you'll know that I've done my work. Uh, if you're not a scholar, some of this just might be interesting uh, to see how archaeology seems to be pointing toward the the, the genuine history that we find in Scripture. But let me pray first, and then I'll talk to you about how this new king is not the son of this old king, but why they call him father. It'll make sense in a second, but I need the Lord's help. Um, Lord, we just want to say, yes, Lord. Whatever you have for us, yes, Lord. I pray that you give me the, the weight of your glory the anointing of your spirit so that the words that come out of my mouth are not my words, but yours. Lord, this is not my message for your people. This is your message for all of us. So give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you want us to hear, what you want us to see. And Lord, if there's something I plan to say that is not of you, I don't want to say it. So strike it from my memory and convict me of it later so I know better who you are and whose I am. But Lord, if there's something you want said that I haven't thought of, make it burn within me so that I'm sure and certain that it's what you want for your people and I will be obedient. We pray this in the name of Jesus for the power, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Now, I know that if you're not a preacher, it seems like preachers take real seriously things that you kind of go, eh, you might be a little over... I get it. I mean, that's what the prophets in the Old Testament, they were often really upset about things that weren't that big a deal, um, at least to, to all the people around them. But God thought they were big, a big deal. So it's not that the preachers think of ourselves as, as more important or that we know more than someone else. It's the audacity of the pulpit. Think about it. When you pray for somebody, you, you get on your knees and you cry out to God on behalf of people. But uh, someone who is called to preach any given Sunday, we have to stand in front of people on behalf of God. And so it's scary to, to think that you might go, ah. but the worst fear and the one that makes this, so, this most humbling is we never want to see God look at us and go, ah. so we take seriously what he says, and we do our best to tell you the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. That's why you hear those prayers before sermons. It's why we, we spend time in study, and it's why we stand up and say, folks, what goes on in our world is no surprise to God, and what goes on in our world is really of no consequence to God. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care, he doesn't find it important. If, if he didn't think leadership in countries was important, we wouldn't have the book of Daniel. But there is something to be said that God knows better than we do, and it would be wise for us to hear what he has to say, since he is the creator, the sustainer, and the, of all things, and the one who matters most on this, not just on this planet, but in the universe. So let me give you some background on this passage. We just heard the last, really, of Nebuchadnezzar, um, at least historically, in this, in this book last week, when he was walking around or on all fours like an animal and for seven years, and then he looked up and God restored his sanity, and he finally cried out and praised the Most High God. And then he wrote a chapter of Scripture. A former demon-worshipping pagan king wrote a passage, an entire chapter of Scripture, giving praise to the God of the universe. Now we get to this guy, Belshazzar. Now, now, Daniel's other name is Belteshazzar. This is a new king. 
He's not actually the king. He's a co-region. I'll get to that in a second. Um, Belshazzar. Now, in this passage, you'll hear Nebuchadnezzar referred to as Belshazzar's dad. Now, years ago, about 50, uh, 40 to 50 years ago, people were saying, see, there was no Belshazzar who was the king over Babylonia, so therefore, there's no record of this guy they didn't think. So, see, Scripture's not really accurate with history. Well, they did find out through some cuneiform tablets that, that there was a Belshazzar, as a matter of fact, and he was the son of the last king of Babylonia, but he was not the physical uh, genetic son of Nebuchadnezzar. Here's, it's about 23 years after Nebuchadnezzar passed away, and here's the succession of kings. Nebuchadnezzar was succeeded by Amal Marcuk, who was, who was the one that they referred to in 2 Kings 25 as the evil Merodach. He was executed by Nerglesar, Nerglesar, uh, I'm not going to meet him in heaven, so um, uh, it's true. 560 to 556 BC, um, Nerglesar was succeeded by his son Labashi Marduk, and he only lived for a couple of months. He only ruled for a couple of months. He was executed by the party that brought Nabonidus into power, and he was a worshiper of not only Marduk, but get this, the God called Sin. <laughs> And he, he, he was the last emperor of Babylonia. Babylonia is the empire. Babylon is the greatest city on the earth at that time. And Nabonidus, uh, he had a son, Belshazzar, or Belshazzar. And Nabonidus, there were some threats for the people that were bigger into Marduk, this, this Baal, um, and, and less into the god of sin. So he, began, he moved over to Tima, which is in, now known as Saudi Arabia, to rule from there instead of Babylon. He put his son in charge of Babylon, the biggest city and the most glorious city on the planet up until that point. So when you hear about Belshazzar, they call him king because he was appointed by the emperor to be king over Babylon, which is very large. He was king over more things than everyone but um, his, his dad. And because of that, and because his dad, they didn't have internet and, and email and texting and, and, and satellite TV and all that kind of thing. He just decided he's going to tell everyone, call me king. Okay. Now, when they refer to Nebuchadnezzar as his father, keep in mind, it's kind of like us saying that, that George Washington is the father of our country. Nebuchadnezzar was the king that grew Babylonia into what it is to that day. And then there's been these guys that ruled for a couple of years, a couple of months, six years, and now here's this new emperor. And so no one wants to claim the guy that was here for two months as being his successor. You want to go back to the last great king. So when they refer to Nebuchadnezzar, who has been dead, for about 23 years as his father, that's what's going on. So it, they've read everything. Every king's supposed to have read what the, the former kings have done. And because Nebuchadnezzar was such a great king in the eyes of the Babylonians, he's the father of the nation. Okay. Now, the other thing you'll hear here is, is, is it referred to the queen. And this, just so you know, Belshazzar has lots of wives and lots of concubines and lots of enchanters and, and stargazers and all of that stuff. The queen that we're be, that's being referred to here is most likely, we don't know for sure, but we're pretty sure that this is the queen mum. Okay, this is Nebuchadnezzar's main wife that has still afforded all the, all the dignity because she was the wife of the great king, Nebuchadnezzar. Um, she's afforded all the nobility and all of the, she has access to the court, 
to, to speak into the king's life and all of his nobles. So when you hear those things, just so you know, they thought that there had been no Belshazzar ever and they accuse scripture of not being accurate. They've now found Belshazzar and they've been able to trace back and how it is that he's called king when in reality he's what's known as a co-regent. He's a co-king of Babylon, but his dad is chief over all of Babylonia. All right, that's the background. You ever hear the term, I can read the writing on the wall. Just so you know, it comes from right here. Daniel chapter 5, and it is full of amazing and scary and terrifying things. One other thing, I'm going to be reading in the tone that the language, the original language, tells us to read it in. I'm not just trying to put my own thoughts or my own ideas on here. Scholars agree that there's, that there's tone from the queen mum to Belshazzar, that there's tone from Belshazzar to Daniel, and there's tone from Daniel to Belshazzar. So I'll read it with the tone that we're almost certain was, was spoken at the time. Not, not, you know, you'll see. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for thousands of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles and wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and the king and the nobles and his wives and concubines drank from them. And as they drank, drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. I'm just going to pause for a second. I don't know if you recognize just how blasphemous this is. Nebuchadnezzar, there was never a time when Nebuchadnezzar did not recognize the deity of Yahweh, our, our God. He, he believed that because he was able to take over Judah and plunder the temple. And he brought some of those holy relics back to his own palace, to his own, maybe the temple of Marduk. Um, but, but he acknowledged that there was deity there. It wasn't like some superstitious thing like we might think of it. But he acknowledged the deity. He just believed that Marduk, uh, when, he, when he brought those goblets in, that his God was more powerful than the other God, but he's never going to shun. They're so polytheistic. They're never going to try to shun another God. They're just going to try to bring it in under their own religious worldview. So Nebuchadnezzar, to some extent, treated those holy relics with respect and honor, not the kind of respect and honor that God, our God, the true God, would, would have anyone, uh, not to that extent. It was, he, he didn't treat them like they were as holy, as, but he did treat them with some respect. Belshazzar is so arrogant, so full of himself, and so thinking that nothing can touch him, that he brings in the holy relics that they took from Judah, or from Jerusalem, the kingdom of Judah, and they brought them in here, and they start drinking wine out of these holy relics. Now, just so you have an idea, Next week, we're taking communion here. If you walked up to the table that will be right over here next week, and you saw that cup, that goblet up there, and all those tiny little plastic cups that we pass around, and you started using those as a spittoon, would you ever do that? There's something set apart. There's something sacred about holy relics, holy items. This man took something made and ordained and God gave the instruction on how to make these things and he and he toasted gods made of stone so I don't know about you but if I were God that might make me a little bit perturbed 
Now, there's more going on here than that, but just the arrogance of this man is unthinkable. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster, on the, on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote, and he, his face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. The king called for the enchanters, the astrologers and diviners to be brought in and said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom, meaning his dad, Belshazzar, and then whoever can solve this riddle. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified and his face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. Okay, set the, just, just, we got to put the flesh on this. Here's the, most, the second most powerful man on the planet at the time. His whole idea is to project strength and confidence. If he says off with your head, his soldiers take your head off. If he says you're banished never to be set foot in Babylon again, you are banished and you are never to step foot in Babylon again. If he says, I want your daughter to be my concubine, your daughter becomes his concubine. He is that powerful. His word is law. He is law. And some thing gives him the heebie-jeebies and he panics. He turns pale. His knees knock. This is not the projection of strength that you would want. Think about it. Think about whoever our president may, may have been, is, or will be. If they're meeting a foreign ruler who's threatening us, and you see our president, whoever it may be one day, go, are you going to think, man, that guy's got, he's got, he's got, or she got it all set. He looks weak, and he is weak. And the queen mom comes in and calls him weak. So I'm going to read it with the tone. The queen, hearing the voices in the, of, the, of, of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. Oh, king, live forever. That's just how you agree to king. She said, don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. Think, think about it. Your grandma, if you ever did something, if you ever did something, <laughs> and your grandma finds out, and she shows up and go, you should be ashamed of yourself. That's the tone of the queen mom. Come on. You're pale. Really? You're the king. Live forever. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your, in the time of your father... He was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, I say, appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. This man, Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he'll tell you what the writing means. Now, the king has just been put in his place by his grandma, the queen mom. He's looking foolish. He just showed weakness. Now he's been, you should be ashamed of yourself. So he's going to act out a little bit and he's going to make sure that Daniel, this eight octogenarian now, he's in his 80s, he comes in. Belshazzar is going to make sure Daniel knows that his fate is in 
the king's hands. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that you might have, you might have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. He's never met him. After all the things Daniel did, four and two and, 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 and around Nebuchadnezzar, the great king, these few kings have come and gone, and now Belshazzar's there, and he's so full of himself, he never even reached out to the one who his predecessor had written, an enti- written to all the people of the world. He'd written this letter that we just read about last week. He never, never bothered. 23 years, this man and, and, his, and his wisdom is forgotten. I've heard the spirit of the gods in you, okay. And then the wise man enchanters that were brought before me <clears throat> to read the writing and tell me what it means, but they could not explain it. Now I have heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you'll be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Now, before we go on, most of you know this story and that's fine. I just, um, I, want, I want you to understand the tone of Daniel. Daniel has spoken the truth of God to the greatest king that has ever lived on the planet to this point, the, the, the most powerful king. All right, we get that. But Daniel's also in his 80s now. He came over when he was in his teens, in his 80s. He knows that God's promise was that there would be a 70-year exile. He knows that this is coming to an end. He knows. He also, when he walks in the room, he knows what the writing on the wall means. Already. It's written most likely in Hebrew, his language, no one else's. But he's an octogenarian. Have you ever, how many, any, any people in their 80s here today? Not in this room? Or if so, your shoulder might hurt, you don't want to. <laughs> My shoulders hurt all the time, and I'm only 50. People in their 80s have earned the right to be grumpy when they want to be grumpy, say what they want to say, and you can just deal with it or not. You know, we've all, we've all people that go, oh, Honey, we've all had grandpa that says, you, boy, you got to stop acting like that. We get it. That's Daniel, except he is the one that the spirit of God is on that only speaks truth. And when he does speak truth, he's speaking on behalf of God. Then Daniel answered the king, you can keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. You got nothing to lose. O king, the most high God gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the peoples and nations and men of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to, 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 wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride... He was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and set over them anyone he wishes, and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this, Instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. 
You had the goblets of his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you do not honor the God who holds in his hands your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. I'm going to pause just for a second. <clears throat> you might have read right by it. Might not have really been a big deal to you. But when it said a human hand wrote these things, so that's a finger on a wall. Where else have you heard of God writing something with his own finger? The Ten Commandments. That God saw it to be, thought it so important that his people would get it just right. That he carved the Ten Commandments, that which was going to make a people. These boundaries that he set up to set them aside, set them apart so that they would be a light on a hill, a beacon for all of humanity to be drawn to so that they, everyone else might know who their, who their God is. He carved it with his own finger. This is the only other time where God writes with his own finger in the Old Testament and he and he writes something that to the king is gibberish. It's, it's interesting to me that Babylon was founded with the Tower of Babel, and they thought that they were so big and they so great, and they were going to take the place of God, and God just confused their languages. Babel means confusion, and Babylon is the place of confusion. It's interesting to me that, that Babylon was founded on confusion, and it ends with a king who is confused by language. God thought it important enough to use his own hand to write these words. Meeny, meeny, tekel, parsin. This is what these words mean. And just so you know, there's three different, three, probably more, but, but Hebrew has no vowels. It's, they call them pointing. They're just little dots that we've added. But it all has to do with how you speak it. So each of these words, these, that what, what was written on, it was probably scriptio continua, which means there's no spaces. And they go, and I'll do it for your sake, they go right to left in their writing. It does go up and it goes, it goes from top to bottom, but it goes right to left. And so you'll probably see, he probably, Daniel probably looked in and saw MN, these, we're, I'm making them English, but MN apostrophe, NM apostrophe, TQLPRS. Okay, there's three ways that when he looks at it, and he sees them all because he understands the language. It's how you speak these nouns, if you speak them as nouns or verbs or, or passive participles, which indeed he does. Um, it means all of these different things. It just depends on having the knowledge of God to know which one to speak out. Meaning, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought you to an end. Tekel. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Here's what someone else might have seen when they looked at it, if they're Hebrew. The words, the noun form, same letters. Mina, which is a type of money, so is a shekel. Mina, mina, shekel and a half. That's the noun form. Numbered, weighed, and divided. That would be the passive participle. That's the one we have in our text. But Daniel, when he walked in, he knows them all. He's got the wisdom of God on him. He walks in before the king ever offered him the robe and the gold chains. It's, it's in a prominent place. It's right by the lampstand in the, in the palace. He walks in, he looks up, and he goes, ha, ha, ha. he knows what's happening. Because it could mean, and it does mean, it's just not the translation that, that Daniel gives, but Daniel knows all of it. And they're all kind of punny. They're all kind of, you can twist them. 
He could have pronounced it Menah Tikal Paras, which means he has paid out. You are too light. Persia. Then at Belteshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was promoted to the third highest ruler in the kingdom. It's going to last about three hours. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius, the Mede, who was also, the Medes and the Persians were all one group at this time. The, uh, Darius, the Mede, took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So Daniel walks in and he goes, he could say, mine a mine a shekel and a half. He could say, weighed, measured, come up lacking, divided, see ya. Or he could say, he has paid out. You've not measured up. Doom. Persia. Now, Daniel was not, didn't have an authority in the kingdom at this point. He didn't know that the, that the Medes were surrounding Babylon in the hills. He didn't know this. He knew it when he saw those words. So why does God put this in the scriptures? What's the writing on the wall? We all think we know it, you know, and it kind of, well, I can see the writing on the wall. That means you kind of know what's coming. So what do you think's coming? In your family, in your church, in your city, in your county, in your state, in your nation, in the world. I hear it all the time. Well, we all know where this is going. Do you? Do you have the wisdom of God? Do you know? Did God give you a word so you can actually read the writing on the wall? Do you get fearful about who might become president of the United States of America? Do you get fearful when you see what's happening in what used to be or what is now Syria and Iraq and all around the Middle East? Do you, do you understand what's being done to Christians in India and China and sub-Saharan Africa and north, and, and north of, of Sahara? Do you, you know what's happening to people of faith in South America or Central America? Do you know? Because if you don't know, you can't read the writing on the wall. You don't know what it is that God, and I don't know either. Some of us kind of hope that there's judgment coming either on our country or in the world. And that's great. If, it, if God has judgment to come, then we know that God's judgment is also a gift. We've talked about that from the first day we talked about Daniel, that, that God was judging Judah to bring them back to himself and he allowed them to be dislocated into, into Babylon so that he could bring, he was going to try to form them into a people again, but he's also going to share the goodness of God to the people of Babylon. And one of the greatest king of Babylon was converted as a result of God's judgment on Judah. But now God's judgment has come to Babylon. And I want to ask this question. If you think you know where things are going to go and you think you know what's best for our country or for our world, I want to ask you this. Why did, why did Nebuchadnezzar get chance after chance? After, he's had the dream, right? And then he ends up praising God. And then, and then there's the fiery furnace and they don't get burned up. They don't even smell like smoke. And, and, and he saw a fourth person in there and he ends up praising God. And then, and then, and then he's given this idea that, hey, dude, it, if you, all you got to do is humble yourself. And he won't do it. So then he ends up being a, a, an animal for seven years until he, his sanity's returned when he praises God and he's set back over his whole kingdom. God gave Nebuchadnezzar, a demon-worshiping king, gave him mercy an entire lifetime. And then Belshazzar, 
Really no different as far as I can read here. Thought a lot of himself, worshiped pagan gods. He did blaspheme against the one true God, okay. But that, what's the difference? I mean, he, he, he gets judgment and he's dead. Dead? Three hours, maybe four hours later, the, the man is dead. Why does Nebuchadnezzar get mercy and Belshazzar doom? Now, there are scholars that will disagree with me. But according to what I've studied in Daniel... And what's seen in Daniel 5, you know all this. You know all this. That's what Daniel said to Belshazzar. Nebuchadnezzar knew nothing of the one true God. And it took him a lifetime to really come to grips with it. But he wrote a letter to all the peoples of the world and praise the most high God. And Belshazzar is his successor and he's the great king. He calls him his dad and then, and then he disregards it. God has paid out. You've come up lacking. Persia. And I'm not talking about Iran. I'm talking about doom. Why? You know all this. So let me put it back on you. If you think you know, I'm going to challenge that. You think you know what's best for this country? Vote your conscience. But if you think you know what's best, if you hope that this will happen, if you hope that that will happen, if you hope that this will happen in the world, if you hope that that person gets found out, if you hope that that person goes to jail, if you hope, if you hope, if you hope, then your hope is in the wrong thing. It's in man. It's in stone. It's in gold and silver and iron and copper and bronze and stone. It's in nothing. It's in created things. See, the scripture tells us that our hope is not in God, in Christ. It is God. It is Christ. There's a big difference between where your hope is, what your hope is in, and what your hope is. Our hope is Christ Jesus. And God paid out. We've been found in want. We've been found coming up short. We've been found missing the mark. That's just the definition of sin in the New Testament. Judgment. So we have an opportunity to participate in God's judgment, either to receive the judgment that he gave to Jesus for us and have the perfection of Christ imputed onto us or we decide that we know better than God and we live like we know better than God and then it's you've been, you've, God has paid out, you haven't measured up, doom. And I know how terrible that sounds coming from a preacher who's supposed to be preaching the good news but it is the truth of the gospel. God has paid out. We don't measure up. Jesus or doom. See, judgment is judgment. And it will either be a gift or it will be destruction. Nebuchadnezzar was judged and he converted. Belshazzar was judged because he didn't. And he should have known better. Folks, you know better. Nobody faces judgment and says, Lord, look what I did. We face judgment 
Lord, look what you've done. If it weren't for you, this would have happened to me. If it weren't for you, I would be in eternity and it's really hot. If it weren't for you, this would have happened in the world. If it weren't for you, 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 if it wasn't for the price you paid, you've paid out everything. God has pursued humanity from the beginning of time. And we still say, you've paid out. I don't measure up. I'm going to do it my own way. That is what our world is doing. And in some ways, that is what I am doing. And it's probably what you are doing. And I'm supposed to stand in front of you today to say, the writing is on the wall. You've been numbered and weighed. Will you be divided? God has paid out. You've not measured up. Will the next word be doom or Jesus? Why do preachers take this stuff seriously? Because it has eternal consequence. You and God. There is one name ever by which every person who's ever lived who is living or ever will live, will be judged. Jesus. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some voluntarily, some will, be, will come to that realization and it's too late. Every single knee of any human barring Jesus that has ever lived will bend to Jesus Christ. Because God has paid out. We don't measure up. Jesus Watch the debate. Vote your conscience. But don't think for one minute that God's going to be surprised by the outcome. What am I going to do? It's like Barney Fife. Ooh, I got my bullet in my pocket. <laughs> That's not Barney Fife. God is God. He is holy. He's eternal. He's omniscient, which means he knows all things. He knows what's going through your mind right now. Right now. He, he, he's so powerful that you woke up this morning because he said, breathe, awaken, live. Is your hope in anything other than the one true God? If it is, he's paid out. You don't measure up. Sorry to tell you. Doom. If your hope is Christ, he's paid out. You don't measure up. Jesus. So you see the writing on the wall? It's the same then as now. God has paid out. We don't measure up. Judgment. Will the judgment be a gift? Or will the judgment be Persia? The cool thing is, you get to choose. You get to choose. To be, end up being like Nebuchadnezzar ended up being or be like Belshazzar. Writing's on the wall. 
you can say, yes, Lord. Or you can say, I got this, God. Yes, Lord is the right answer in case you're wondering. Let's pray as the band comes up. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And yes, you are Lord. That's enough. It's in your son's name, for your son's glory, for our benefit, we pray. Amen.